Friend, please help Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry by supporting the cost to produce Spirit-Filled Radio and Podcast for this current fiscal year. You can become a partner with Spirit-Filled Hearts by donating monthly. Your contributions make a difference in the lives of all those who listen to our radio shows and podcasts. Thank you for your support. Go to spiritfilledhearts.org and click on the donate button. That's spiritfilledhearts.org. Coming up on today's podcast. It's in that freedom where we say, Lord, do with me as you will. I serve this man or woman who doesn't deserve anyone's love. They don't deserve it, but I'm going to show them love. I'm going to do this act by the grace of God. And the transforming power of God is there. Welcome to the Spirit-Filled Media Podcast with Deacon Steve Greco. On today's episode, we've got a woman who brings a passion and fire for faith that will inspire you. Alexis Walkenstein brings a fascinating background in media from network TV, film production, speaking, and authoring books. She's worked on dozens of faith-based films in recent years, including Unplanned, Breakthrough, and Fatima. Our focus here is on the divine mercy that Jesus offers and its evidence in the culture all around us. Here's Deacon Steve. My brothers and sisters, I love the Divine Mercy Chaplet and the whole area of Divine Mercy. If you're not familiar with the Divine Mercy Chaplet, Divine Mercy Novena, what St. Faustina's diary is about, then please listen to this show because this show is going to inspire you. This show is going to motivate you to pray the divine mercy every single day. Alexis Walkenstein is an absolute amazing person who is filled with the Holy Spirit, who loves the Divine Mercy Chaplet and Divine Mercy. It has really been a blessing to get to know Alexis over the last few years because she truly is an evangelist making a huge difference in building faith throughout our faith communities. So it's really a thrill for me to have Alexis on the show. And please listen several times, quite frankly, on our podcast, because there's so much great material about the importance of God's Divine Mercy Chaplet. One of my favorite people on the face of the earth, Alexis Walkenstein, who is a publicist, evangelist, all around incredible person is here on our show. Welcome, Alexis. Thank you, Deacon. It's good to be here. It's been way too long. I know. But I can't keep up to, with you. You're <laughs> flying here, there, and there. Just give me an idea. How many places, cities have you been? Florida, oh East Coast, Boston, I mean, everywhere. I've been everywhere. Last year was a banner year uh, in the country and, and out of the country. Mexico, Korea, and then everywhere from you know Boston, New York, to the West Coast and everywhere in between. You personify the title of this show, Empowered by the Spirit. <laughs> and I am so Praise proud to say that I know you and you are my friend and we are on the front lines together. Yes. The front lines fighting for life. Yes. For fighting life. for mercy. And yes. the title of this show is The Divine Mercy Culture. And your movie projects are amazing. I am just so mesmerized by all of them. Uh, and I think we're going to be working on the Fatima together. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. And that's, you know, our blessed mother. Uh, but, you know, from Unplanned, right? Tell us about some of the movies you've, you've been part of as a publicist. Yeah, so I started 
way back, uh, probably about a decade, and it's been a wild ride because I never imagined that God would lead me into movies. But this is really where I believe the culture is being formed, and God wants to break us out of comfortable routines and do things out of the box to use our fidelity to Him, our love for Him, and zeal for Him after He's kind of broken our own will and trained us in the way to go um, and take us to places apostolically. And for me, the apostolic movement was all the way to Hollywood. So movies like Soul Surfer, The Way, For Greater Glory. For Greater Glory? For Greater Glory. I love that movie. I love it too. One of my favorites. Anyway, keep going. Yeah, For Greater Glory. Um, courageous, some of the evangelical films, um, building up you know, men and family life. Last year was a banner year with Unplanned. Uh, Little Boy was a movie that kind of positioned me to come to L.A., Captive, a movie um, about drug addiction with David Oyelowo, The Shack with Octavia Spencer. Wow. So lots of movies and they keep coming. It doesn't end. <laughs> and so you've got some really exciting movies coming up and, and tell us about them. Yeah, exciting uh, movies that are coming. Really thrilled about a movie about Our Lady called Fatima, which will be coming out in April. And it's spectacular. I've seen it. It's a beautiful depiction of what happened in Portugal, Fatima, um, when Our Lady uh, appeared to three children and her message for the world. It's a lot to do with just kind of lifting the veil between heaven and earth and really showing the world that God is present. God is present to us. Our Lady is present to us. So it's going to be a really powerful moment for the church, but also the world, I believe, especially in the times in which we live to have the message of Fatima proclaimed. You were one of the inspirations, one of the lights of the world. And I mean that I'm not, I mean that so seriously uh, because like all of us, when you grew up, I mean, you had your own spiritual battles and so forth. And tell us a little bit about your background and it led you to the church. It led you to the Catholic church in a major way. It led you to be an evangelist, but tell us about your background. Well, I grew up in Boston, a suburb of Boston, and, uh, you know, faithful Catholic. My mom was the Catholic formator in the house uh, for my sister and I, and my dad was Jewish. I've, you know, Walkenstein is my last name, so it confuses a lot of people. And because my my parents were split in the faith, you know, the, the duty fell to my mom. Um, but I had the benefit because of that to be really adopted by the church. I had an extraordinary grace um, in my home parish to be really lifted up in through spiritual fatherhood. My pastor was an incredible pastor. He gave me incredible opportunities to elevate me toward the larger church, whether it be the Archdiocese of Boston or uh, my first, you know, trip as a high school s student was to the National Conference for Catholic Youth in Louisville, Kentucky. And it was the first time that I saw the big church and young people and, and charismatic bishops and people praying in faith and fidelity. And it was really electrifying for me. A little scary, too, because you'd come home and you didn't exactly know how to apply these things. Um, we didn't say grace at our meals. We It wasn't that kind of a... A home life, but we had faith. I went went to church every week, every Sunday, but then there was more happening for me. Uh, one particular Easter Triduum, my mom was adamant that we would go to the whole Triduum, including Holy Thursday. I always went on Good Friday. We'd venerate the cross and, of course, Easter. But I didn't understand the concept of having to be in church for three days or Holy Thursday. I wasn't intent on being a nun. I had a couple days off from school, and I thought I was going to go to an under-21 club as a teenager. And 
I was in a battle with my mother, a real battle. And I was, I could see at that point, there were two paths. There were two hands dealt to me. One was the, the hand of the world and one was the hand of, of the Lord. And my mom was battling my, for my own will and she broke my will. She said, no, you're going and that's it. And what happened for me that night was, of course, we had the mass, which celebrates the institution of the priesthood and the Eucharist. But afterwards, we processed to the lower church for the exposition of the Blessed Sacrament. I received communion every week, but I don't think it ever really connected from the head to the heart that I was really receiving the living body of Jesus Christ, even though I reverenced it and and knew it somehow intellectually as a teenager. But I had a profound encounter that night on Holy Thursday that changed my life really forever. And it made me a daily communicant as much as possible and an adorer of the Lord who manifested to me in such a profound way that it was life altering. And that really set the tone for my life of faith. Which has been amazing. And from that, you were on the front lines of the battle and you know you've been chosen and we've all been chosen, my brothers and sisters. You're listening to this show, Empowered by the Spirit. And take a look at John 15, that whole chapter, the vine and the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. Remain in me and I will remain in you. But chapter 15, verse 16, it is not you who chose me, but I who chose you and appointed you to bear fruit, fruit that will remain. You take that really seriously. You know that God has chosen you. You've been involved in the church, but now, of course, what you're doing in helping change many, many lives. Yeah, and sometimes I think we can really gloss things over. There was a period of of this uh, evangelization when I had given up my career in television and and uh, was working for a diocese and then being called into movie work. And there was a period where the movie work stopped, the faith evangelization stopped, and I had a period of pruning where I was not working for an entire year. My agency closed abruptly. It seemed like a catastrophe, but I knew enough in God's fidelity that he didn't take me this far to lead me over a cliff. But in that year of pruning and and purification, it led me to a a temporary mainstream assignment, which was very dramatic. And um, I believe that there were multiple things happening in that moment. God needed to use me for a, a definite purpose for someone who was on the brink of hell. Number one, number two, he needed to, he needed to break my will again to a greater degree. And he needed to humble me and also really show me in the seven years that I had been outside of the mainstream working world and doing this evangelization work, where sometimes we can get trapped in our head that it's just a sugar, sugary, sweet, Pollyanna, Swiss Miss thing. God needed to show me in a very concrete way that even in the seven years that I had said yes to God, that I wasn't fully sold. I wasn't fully sold. He needed to take me further and he needed to show me the descent of the world, how in seven years it had gone even lower and why this work was so critical. He needed to do that for me, for me to take me all the way to LA. He needed my full commitment. And we're so glad you're here. It's so exciting. I'm moving to the OC. Oh, OC. I love this. Alexis Walkenstein, publicist for Unplanned and many Christian movies and many movies out there. Amazing evangelist. Amazing person. My brothers and sisters, God has to break you apart and then build you back up again. That's just the way it is. I mean, the bottom line is that you think you've made a decision for Christ. I thought I did at 28. And then God showed me, well, maybe not so much. You know, yeah, I mean, we want to have one foot in and one foot out or 
um, think that, you know, to do it the right way, you can compartmentalize things. And God is like, no, 24-7. 24-7. I need all of all you. All of you. Not, all of you. And the third chapter of Revelation, right? I mean, not hot or cold, right. but hot, hot, hot. Otherwise, right. I spit you on my mouth because you're lukewarm. Now, somebody, uh, I think his name was Peter, <laughs> was with Jesus the whole time. And wait, weren't you with the Nazarene? Don't know the guy. You know? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> don't know what you're talking about. You know, and, and, but that's what happens is that we may think we're there, but God is showing us over and over again. And he's saying, how much do you love me? Right. And he, he loves us so much that he does it very gently. Amen. He doesn't hurt us with the truth. And, you know, my weakness can sometimes be that I get into this hard assignment and I want to run. I want to put, you know, the Nike sneakers on and, and run right back from where I was sent. And through the grace of God, I've had some very, very strong women, older women, spiritually mature women to disciple me and form me and tough mother me so that I would not vacate my post until the work is done, until God says, I'm moving you somewhere else. You want to hear one of my favorite scripture verses? Yes. And of course, I have about a thousand of them, but for you. <laughs> How could you pick? <laughs> and for my listening audience, and this is one you may have heard me say before, and that's Hebrews ten thirty six. You need perseverance, perseverance in order to that's receive right. what God has in store for you. That's right. Perseverance. And because all of us in listening audience, I know you're with us on this, is that the devil, the enemy, our own weakness is constantly trying to say, oh, give up on it. Give up on right. it. Don't do it. Lose your life to save your life is really the drumbeat for me. And there's temptation depending upon where we are in life um, I remember when I gave up my TV career, it probably took me a whole year in the next job working for a bishop, grieving this loss, quote unquote, loss of a worldly career, which was full of empty promises. I was a faithful Catholic living my witness, but I still had this worldly mindset. I had a worldly mindset that needed to be sanitized by the grace of sac frequent sacraments, not just weekly sacraments, frequent sacraments. And when I worked for the Diocese of Palm Beach, the sacramental life became much more frequent. Um, the discipleship of women around me, the gift that God gave me in my zeal to help transform the church out of its mess, the gift that God gave me was to transform me out of my mess, out of my weaknesses, out of my poor formation, out of my own worldly mindset that says it's better over here or the world can give you pleasure. The world could give you notoriety. The world could give you power. And God was saying, I'm all power. It doesn't matter if you're hidden here for 25 years in due time, I will take you and put you on a mountaintop. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And Jesus tells us very clearly, without me, you can do nothing. But we're also saying it is not an easy ride. And you said something, we have to be all in. Mm -hmm. And thank you for your yes, by the way. Thank you. I'd love to say that to people. Aww. Thank you for your yes. I love coming here. And the second thing is the fact that perseverance and to uh, have the sacraments, such an important part of our life. Yes. How important is reconciliation to you? Very important. I mean, people think it's an antiquated sacrament that this is something from the 1950s church or the 1960s or 70s church or their parents' church. And the reality is, is that every sacrament is where we meet Jesus Christ. And I think it was Father Gabriel Amorth, who is the chief, chief exorcist 
for the Vatican said that confession is a more profound exorcism than an exorcism. So when we seek the reconciliation with Jesus Christ through the sacrament, we are receiving deliverance. And so all those graces are pouring down. We want to be able to avail ourselves to confession, the Eucharist as much as possible. The closer you strive for holiness and remember, we are told to be holy. We're also told in Ephesians one that we were created to be holy, to be set apart, to receive every spiritual blessing. The more you strive for holiness, the more you see how much you need reconciliation. It's true. And there've been so many powerful things that have happened for me in the sacrament. It's not our favorite thing to do. I mean, we don't want to go to the doctor, but you know, Fulton Sheen says like we trust the doctor for our physical ailments and we have to trust Jesus for our spiritual sickness. And um, I, I, this is how powerful confession is. I was once, it was like two years ago, I was invited to speak in Newport beach to a group of um, parents at a retreat, like maybe 90 people. And it was probably a group of women that weren't necessarily in super high formation, but they were doing something during Lent. And I was asking the Lord, what did he want me to talk about to these ladies? And I kept getting this pounding sensation that he wanted me to talk about confession and forgiveness and what confession does to unlock his mercy and what it does for just rebuilding not only our relationship with him, but with each other. And so I was praying in advance and I was praying on the way down and praying so heavily when I arrived to the venue you know, like an hour, 45 minutes early. And a woman came over and she said, I'm sorry, who are you? And I said, I'm the speaker for today. And she said, are you Alexis? And I said, I am. And she said, well, you called this morning and canceled yourself. You canceled. You said you weren't coming. Wow. And um, to me, that was significant of how much the devil did not want to hear that message. Wow. And what happened at this event, I didn't exactly know the direction or how raw it was going to be, but God has really been communicating to me in a particular way about being vulnerable before our brothers and sisters, about really sharing the vulnerable places that where God has had access to us to bring transformation. And so there were a couple of um, real examples of divine mercy in my family life and forgiveness in my personal life that I shared testimony and the power of prayer, the power of Our Lady Undoer of Knots, the power of the divine mercy, the power of corporal works of mercy, even when you're performing these works of mercy on someone who doesn't even seem worth the right time of day, how, how the Lord works through the body of Christ. And of those 90 or some odd women, about 75 of them stampeded me at the end, telling me that they hadn't been to confession in either over 10 years or 13 years or 25 years, that there were family members in their lives that they hadn't spoken to for decades, some of them tremendously broken. And what God was doing that day was communicating a message of love, a message of mercy, a message of reconciliation through the sacrament, number one, through the practice of the sacraments and not taking these things lightly. This is not a club. Catholicism is not a club. And to reform people who have not been hearing the message. And that's why someone attempted to cancel me that day because the message was going to be so profound. Wow. So I recently wrote a book. I've written five books, though my most recent is Miracles Through Forgiveness. The notoriety of this is amazing. We have a church interested in buying 4,000 copies. Praise God. I mean, everyone. And because we talk about God's mercy, God's forgiveness, reconciliation. 
Forgiveness is a cornerstone of mercy because we have to understand that Jesus has died and rose again that we may have eternal salvation. He has forgiven us. We must forgive ourselves. We must forgive other people. And we must forgive God for not being the God Santa Claus that we necessarily want him to be, but God knows what's best. And why is forgiveness so important again? I believe forgiveness is, is of course, because he wants us to be an imitation of himself. We, we are the visible representation of Jesus on the earth. So we have to have the qualities that Jesus has. So his greatest attribute, I believe, is his mercy. And his mercy is played out on the cross. Um, he didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve what he was dealt. And he freely accepted it and went through every part of Calvary. So in the same way, we can't have acts of forgiveness or even acts of mercy with any condition. We have to do these things in total freedom. It's in that freedom where we say, Lord, do with me as you will. I serve this man or woman who doesn't deserve anyone's love. They don't deserve it, but I'm going to show them love. I'm going to do this act by the grace of God. And the transforming power of God is there. You know, it's interesting when you take a look at 2 Corinthians 3, 15 and following, it talks about a veil lying over our hearts. Mm. But when we turn to to Mm. Jesus, the veil is removed. And the next line, which is verse 17, 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's right. The word that you said, freedom. freedom. And when we have freedom... It's because we have surrendered our heart, our mind, our soul to Jesus. We have embraced forgiveness. We've embraced reconciliation. We've embraced the Eucharist. Why is receiving the body and blood of Christ every single day so important? When we receive the body and blood of Christ, we receive the true food come down from heaven. We are, we are in full communion with, with God. We have the power. Greater is he that is in me that is in the world. I fear no one when I'm living with him beating and living inside me. What do we fear when we carry him? When we carry him to the next room or to the next country, we are transporting. We are like a living monstrance, like our lady when she visited Elizabeth. She was the first monstrance, the carrier of Jesus within her. We, We have the same capacity to be like our lady and to receive, to consume, to chew on him, to have power that we didn't have before. And this is what people don't understand. We're living in a world where there's so much false power. I really get on this tangent a lot. Reiki, new age, yoga, mindfulness and power of positive thinking and and these self-help gurus, you know who they are. And they have hundreds of thousands of millions of followers and they want you to chant certain chants and and do cheerleading moves in, in massive stadiums. This is not the way to, to have power. The power is through the cross. All power is through the cross and through his sacrament on the cross. His side was opened up and the blood and water gushed forth. That is the, the, the drink that we receive when we receive him. Calvary comes down on the altar through the one eternal act in the mass. There's one mass it's Calvary. And we are united to that Calvary, the power that brings the resurrection. If we fully know this, we would be there as often as possible. Hallelujah. <laughs> right? You know, I mean, I just, my heart is just overjoyed. My soul is just leaping for joy. I mean, the bottom line is 
Amen. 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 But it's interesting. A good friend of mine, we were talking the other day and I talked about the Lord's prayer and give us this day, our daily bread. And I said, well, you know, Jesus called himself the bread of life. He goes, what? He said, you mean that's talking about Jesus? That's talking about how we are to have Jesus every day. Yeah. Every day in our heart, you see the Eucharist give us that bread every day through the Mass. It is not an option as often as you possibly can, my brothers and sisters. Build yourself up to make a difference and receive the body and blood of Christ every single day. Now, recently, uh, we've had a horrible tragedy, and those that have been in Southern California feel like Kobe was our best friend yeah. uh, because, you know, I grew up a Laker fan and so forth, and, and he was in Newport Beach, and right. we're in Irvine, and we're real close and so forth. And I mean, what, what a tragedy. But think about God's mercy as we're talking about, mm-hmm. again, the, the divine mercy culture, the life, the love of Jesus Christ and his mercy. Seven o'clock that morning. Mm-hmm. He and his daughter are in church receiving the body and blood of Christ before that flight. What does the message of Kobe mean to us? I think it's remarkable because we don't understand when we see someone who's so powerful and physically perfect and and has it all and it's like a giant has fallen right and we don't understand you know someone in their 40s in the prime of their life seemingly with so much more to do and yet as i'm consuming so many of the stories and and weeping over many of them i feel like god just for whatever reason he had to be in the perfect state for the lord to be able to take him right number one number two His life is becoming more of a testimony right now in his death than it ever was, perhaps, in life as we're exposed to the depth of who Kobe really was. I grew up a Celtics fan and still am. I'm just going to put that out there. You were close to being perfect. (laughs) I was close to being perfect. You were close to being perfect. The green machine in me, um, you know, but because of that, Kobe and the Lakers were our arch nemesis. Okay. So I had this eye on Kobe, obviously. I think all Bostonians had their eye on Kobe. The world had their eye on Kobe. But being here is really interesting. And I remember when the initial stories broke about his, his troubles and allegations and being a teenager and kind of, you know, that's what the kind of your last impression, you know, I don't, I didn't follow the whole story to the newness of what it is now. And I, I am amazed and, and edified and in love with the God of all of us, the God of Kobe, (laughs) who is so loving and so merciful. And he, what is the scripture? He chastens the one he loves. He had Kobe in the palm of his hand. How many of us sin and make grave error, but how many of us avail ourselves to the love of Christ to such a degree in humility to face these things dead on and to let Jesus, as Kobe said in his own words, carry his cross. And some people have come out since and saying, well, look at the sins he did and whatever. My brothers and sisters, we're all sinners, but it's what we do Yes. after that. Yes. Do we get up? Do we learn from it? Yes. Do we go to reconciliation? Do we repent? And Kobe did that. He did all of that. He transformed his life and he was, he was not a showboat about it. 
Um, he he would stay in the back. He would come in a little after the procession so that people weren't distracted. And he would leave before, you know, the, the closing song to, to not make it about a spectacle about him. He really loved the Lord. And he amended everything with his wife and his family. And he was an amazing father. He, he had his priorities straight. He knew the person of Jesus Christ. He definitely was a man that knew the person of Jesus Christ who carried him through a horrific scandal, a horrific scandal, whether it was true or not true, whether partially true, it didn't matter because Jesus died as if Kobe were the only one. And that's the message for all of us. I think what people are seeing is not just a man of faith, but that God is a God of second chances. Amen. And my brothers and sisters, another favorite scripture is in the book of James that says, our life is but a vapor appearing briefly and disappearing. For many of us, we yes. look at Kobe at age 41 and how quickly it came that he passed on. Every day that we have is a blessing and gift from Jesus, mm -hmm. but we can't waste it. Timeless wisdom from Deacon Steve Greco. And with that, we'll hit pause for this first episode. Be sure to check out part two as Alexis makes the strongest of cases for the cause of sainthood for a man who had one of the top rated TV shows in America in the 1950s. Hmm. Catch up with all of our podcasts and exciting new media right here at this site. Or you can always pop on over to spiritfilledhearts.org to learn more about what we're all about. Again, that website, spiritfilledhearts.org. We'll catch up with you next time with Deacon Steve and the team. This podcast is a ministry of Spirit-Filled Media. Have a blessed day. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please consider supporting Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry with a one-time or monthly gift. Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We are only funded by generous donors who believe in our mission to evangelize.